Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, and today we're going to be talking about UFC 281, Israel Adesanya versus Alex Pereira for the undisputed UFC middleweight belt, and it's going down this Saturday night live at Madison Square Garden in New York, New York. Been waiting a long time for this middleweight showdown. I mean, a lot of people have been complaining about Izzy's last few fights, saying he's playing it safe, saying he hasn't been challenged. Well, who better to give him a fight than not only the only man to ever knock him out in kickboxing and Alex Pereira, the only man to ever beat him twice, and the last man to beat the last style bender. So I cannot wait to break down this whole car, starting with the main event all the way to the first prelim. So much to talk about. So everybody do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. And let's get down to business. Because in the main event, we got the undisputed UFC middleweight champion, Israel Adesanya. He's 23-1, and representing Nigeria and New Zealand, taking on the Brazilian Poatan, Alex Pereira, who is 6-1. and 6-1 and one in MMA, but in uh, kickboxing, it's a different story. I know that record can be a bit misleading when you uh, consider the kind of kickboxing experience he has, but MMA experience has to count for something, too. So currently at DraftKings Sportsbook, they got it. Israel Adesanya, minus 180. The comeback on Alex Poatan Pereira is plus 155. So right away with the odds you know this is the first time in a while since i believe the paulo costa fight that we've gotten izzy in the minus one something range usually you got to pay up uh for that izzy chalk and this time you actually some could argue you're getting a discount you know you remember like when uh islam makachev fought not too long ago against charles Oliveira, and it was you know minus 175 minus 185 felt like a discount compared to some of these past lines we've gotten on him. But granted, Charles and Islam don't have the history that Izzy and Alex Pereira have. And let's go ahead and talk about their history. So before Israel Adesanya was the USC middleweight champion, he was a credentialed kickboxer, and these two have fought twice. And I know people just know on paper that Alex Pereira won both fights. But what exactly happened in both fights? A lot, actually. So the first fight, Alex won by decision. It was a very close back-and-forth fight. A lot of people even thought that Izzy got robbed. Now, I kind of don't think he got robbed. I kind of viewed it as almost like that argument we've been having about the Dustin Jacoby versus Khalil Roundtree fight where it's like, do you favor the volume or do you favor the power? Whichever one you favor is who you give the win to. That night, they favored the power. And interestingly enough, I mentioned Dustin Jacoby. Alex Pereira actually has a knockout win over Dustin Jacoby in kickboxing. That's how ridiculous this guy is. I mean, we're talking about a guy in Alex Pereira who is a, a two-weight glory world champion, a Pan-American kickboxing champion. I mean, his credentials just go on and on. So it only made sense for him to transition to MMA. And look what he's done. I mean, I understand that he hasn't fought the same level of competition as Izzy. You know, he's only had a couple fights in the UFC, but he's treated everybody accordingly. You know, that first fight against Michaelitis, who, I mean, you know, <laughs> Michaelitis is nowhere near the same stratosphere as a guy like Izzy or a guy like Pereira, but at least he went in there flying, need him, got it over with. The fight with Bruno Silva at the time, man, Bruno Silva was knocking everybody out. 
Alex Pereira goes in there. He doesn't actually knock him out, but one could argue he took Bruno's soul. You saw that next fight. Bruno did not look the same. And then he gets his uh, title eliminator against the number four guy at the time, Sean Strickland, who was on a big roll himself, who was looking fantastic, who was looking reborn at middleweight. And it was that left hook that did him in, that, that same left hook that knocked out Izzy Adesanya, that same left hook that he's made a career off of in his kickboxing uh in his kickboxing run. So back to the Izzy versus Pereira kickboxing fight. So the first one was this super close fight, in my opinion. And it was kind of when Alex Pereira was a little bit greener. And it just came down to what did you favor more? Did you favor the volume of Izzy, the flash of Izzy, or did you favor the big power of Alex Pereira? I kind of thought it was close. It could have went either way. But the second fight was the one that really got my attention because in that second fight, man, Izzy was doing amazing. I mean, in that second round, Izzy had Alex Pereira badly hurt. And to the point where the ref actually comes in, does a little eight count and prevents Izzy from finishing the fight. And what's so different about a sport like kickboxing compared to MMA? Well, there's a lot. Firstly, let's look at the gloves. I mean, whether we're talking about 12-ounce gloves or 16-ounce gloves, they're using the quote-unquote pillow gloves. So the kind of pace these two were pushing in the first fight, if they push a, a pace like that here with the four ounce gloves, I can guarantee you someone's going to take a canvas nap and it, they might have to bring the flashlight. They might have to bring in the stretcher. They might have to bring in the smelling salts to wake them up if they fight at that same pace with the four ounce gloves. But to take it a step further, another difference in addition to the gloves is this. When Izzy had Alex Pereira hurt in the second round of their second kickboxing match. Uh, and the ref goes in there and gives Alex that standing eight count. Like in MMA, you have someone wobbled. The ref's not just going to step in and count to eight and let them recover. That's your opportunity to finish the fight. So it's completely, it's just such a different sport. Not to mention other things that are different are obviously, you know, the ring compared to the cage. There's that. But one big one is every single time these guys tied up, you know, went to the clinch and kickboxing, the ref would separate them two, two seconds later, whereas here they're going to get to tie up. They're going to get to go against the fence. Takedowns are allowed. <laughs> Ground and pound is allowed. So it's just a completely different sport. So if Izzy has him on skates, you know, like he did in that second round of their second fight, he could get a finish here. He could possibly knock out Alex Pereira, man. I mean, those straight rights he was landing in MMA with those four-ounce gloves, that's game, set, and match. But you take it a step further. That third round starts, and Alex Pereira knew he was down on the scorecards, and he had to make a decision. If he wanted to win that fight against Izzy Adesanya, he had to bite down on that mouthpiece. He had to find the chin. And one thing that Alex Pereira has always been good at is finding that chin, specifically with that left hook. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. We can sit here and talk about the left hook all day and ignore the other weapons that these guys have, but that would be kind of unfair because these guys – you know, it's not just about, oh, the jab and the calf kicks of Izzy versus the left hook of Pereira, man. I mean, like in, in their kickboxing matches, these guys were trading spinning heel kicks. These guys were trading knees, straight punches, high kicks, body kicks, everything. So it's not just about the left hook. Like any of these big shots can knock either of these guys out. So I guess the question I have is how cautious are these guys going to play it 
knowing their history, knowing the stakes, knowing that this is four ounce gloves, four ounce gloves makes a huge difference. Cause like I said earlier, they fight at the same pace they did in their kickboxing matches with four ounce gloves. Someone's hitting the deck guaranteed, but I do have a feeling that they are going to be a little bit more cautious, be a little bit more patient. So now it comes down to the tactics and the strategies, uh, you know, and I hear people talking about how, oh, Izzy's going to put on his wrestling shoes. Like, guys, that's not how Izzy fights. Like, maybe if there's an opportunity for a takedown, okay, but these guys are going to stand, these guys are going to stand and trade, but they're not going to just stand and trade in the pocket recklessly because if Izzy stands, you know, in the pocket with with Pereira, he's going to get knocked out. The thing about Pereira, he's a little bit more flat-footed. So you just stand, you draw a, a line in the sand against a guy like Pereira, and most likely you're going to hit the deck. I, I like Pereira in that kind of fight. But if we got a little bit more movement, you know, a little bit more mobility, if Izzy's kind of on his bike a little bit, he's switching stances, he's giving him different looks, he's popping that jab, mixing in the calf kick, circling around the cage, that's where I kind of favor Izzy in that kind of fight. It's just he does have to be perfect for the duration of this fight, whether that means all 25 minutes or whether that means uh, up until he catches Pereira and finishes him. So, so much that could go down in a fight like this. Um, but to give Izzy a lot of credit, look, because I know he's been criticized for these last few fights. And as a fan, I understand. Like, they've been kind of boring, but like... If you have money on Izzy in those fights, like it's perfect. He's not taking any unnecessary risks. He's doing exactly what he needs to do to get the job done. So like from a betting standpoint, you actually love what you've been seeing the last few fights. It's like, yes, let's not put ourselves in any kind of danger. Let's do just what we need to do to get the win. And it's always unanimous. So from that point of view, you got to love it. And some people are saying that this time he's going to fight emotional. You know, this time, you know, he's lost this guy twice. He's got to get him back. But Izzy doesn't strike me as that kind of guy, man. I still think that Izzy is not necessarily risk averse, but you got to take a risk against him for him to open up. If you're just going to sit back and try to play a counter game with him, he's content to do that. But if you actually go after him, that's where things get interesting because the times that we've seen Izzy have somewhat of trouble inside the octagon that we can talk about the Blahovich fight where he got taken down kind of got held down a little bit but i'm personally not going to talk about that because i don't think Pereira is going to be landing takedowns so to me that's kind of like an obsolete point i don't really need to bring that up but this is what i will bring up the other two times we've seen him have somewhat of issues inside the octagon have been the kelvin gastelum fight and the second round of the Anderson Silva fight. And there was a very common theme of what gave Izzy problems in those fights. When he circles on the outside against the cage, that's when his hands tend to drop, his chin tends to li uh, lift, and that's where someone who's going to walk him down. And it's not, you can't just chase him. You can't just follow him. You have to cut off the cage to get to a guy like him. That's where Kelvin was able to rock him. That's where Anderson Silva was able to have a little bit of success in that second round. And that's where you don't want a guy like Poatan Pereira, you know, timing that disgusting left hook and putting him down. The only thing is that for the most part, not always, but for the most part, that left hook has been more of a counter technique. Now, granted, don't get me wrong. I mean, in that uh, kickboxing match he had with Izzy, it, it was an attack more than a counter, right? Like he actually offensively threw it rather than a defensive counter. So he can still do that. But the times I've seen Izzy look most vulnerable, what I'm trying to say is 
when he circles against the cage, that's when those hands drop and that chin lifts a little bit. But both these guys kind of have a bit of that kickboxing chin. I've seen both of them rocked. I've seen Izzy knocked out before. I haven't seen Pereira knocked out, but I've seen him rocked before. So it comes down to strategy. It comes down to tactics. In the pocket, I favor Pereira, but on the outside with the variety, winning the minutes, I got to go with Izzy here. And I also really do think that despite these guys' familiar uh, familiarity, what's the fucking word? Besides how familiar... Uh, these guys are with each other. They um, MMA experience counts for a lot. And there's no questions asked that Izzy has put together the more defined resume in mixed, in mixed, mixed martial arts than Alex Pereira. I mean, 100%. I mean, when you look at this guy's resume, we're talking about two wins over Whitaker, two wins over Vittori, destroyed Paulo Costa, beat Jared Cannonier, whereas my boy Pereira, Although in kickboxing, he's got the two wins over Izzy and MMA. Look, great wins over Bruno Silva and Sean Strickland, 100%. But I still think he's kind of getting his feet wet inside the UFC's octagon. So I do have to kind of lean towards Izzy. It's just he could be looking perfect this whole fight. And that one opportunity that Pereira takes could be all that she wrote, kind of like what happened in kickboxing. But you know, I've been a lot more confident on some of these other main events, whether it was Islam Makachev, whether it was Arnold Allen, um, than I am on this one. But on one hand, I kind of view it like this is the first time in a while you're getting minus one something on Izzy. Um, third time could be the charm here. On the other hand, he's fighting a guy that knows him through and through. So that's what makes it so intriguing for me. But, yeah, my pick is going to be Izzy. I don't have a bet at the moment. I'm kind of juggling if I want to bet it or if I just want to sit back and enjoy it as a fan. But I'm going to go with Izzy to retain his belt. But uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one because this guy Pereira is dangerous, is credentialed, has beat Izzy twice in another sport. But the thing about the other sport is you can beat someone in ping pong. It doesn't mean you're going to beat them in wrestling. You know, you can beat someone in wrestling. It doesn't mean you're going to beat them. Excuse me. I said ping pong. I meant <laughs> you can beat someone in ping pong. It doesn't mean you're going to beat them in tennis. You can beat someone in wrestling. It doesn't It doesn't mean you're going to beat them in jujitsu. And similarly, you can beat someone in kickboxing. It doesn't mean you're going to beat them in MMA. Different sport, different size gloves, cage versus ring. You know, no standing eight counts. You're allowed to clinch. You're allowed to go to the ground. So it's just a different sport. And I think Izzy's more experienced, more seasoned in this specific sport. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Israel Adesanya to retain. Not counting out Poatan. I think he's a phenomenal talent. I think that this is an anticipated fight for a reason. And if he knocked out Izzy Adesanya, oh, my God, that would send the MMA world on its axis. And MMA Twitter would just blow up and go crazy. So it would be an incredible moment. No questions asked. And I'm all I'm all here for it. But my pick is going to be Izzy to get it done. Co-main event of the evening in the strawweight division for the strawweight belt. We got the champ, Carla Esparza. She's 19 and 6, taking on the former champ, Wiley Zhang, who is 22 and 3. And currently at DraftKings Sportsbook, they got it. Wiley Zhang, minus 350. The comeback on Carla Esparza is plus 290. So a lot of conflicting opinions on this fight, man. I mean, I've talked to a lot of sharp people who love Wiley Zhang, who think that 
this minus 350 is short. A lot of sharp people I know think it should be minus 500, minus 600. But then I know a lot of other sharp people who cashed in on Carla against Rose at big dog odds. And now they're going back to the well for a second time to which I kind of view it as like, yo, y'all already got your big dog money odds against Rose. Like, you know, laugh all the way to the bank, but I wouldn't come back to the well twice personally. But that being said, I just have a history of underestimating Carla. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's during the fighter introductions that, you know, she looks ghost faced and kind of almost intimidated. I don't know if it's the fact that there's no knockout threat whatsoever. It's just that what Carla does, she's so damn good at. And what she does is her wrestling. I mean, her top control has to be amongst the best in the strawweight division, if not in strawweight history. And I mean, like you look at that fight against her and Yan Xiaonan and y'all know, I've been on Yan Xiaonan in every single fight she's had in the UFC. What's our record now? Seven and two, eight and two. And I thought we should have beat, I thought we should have won, cashed that plus 250 against Marina Rodriguez. But that's neither here nor there. But that being said, when Xiaonan uh, fought Carla, it was like a pick em. So I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd bet a pick em on Xiaonan against anybody in this division. And Carla mauled her in a way where. I didn't see that coming from left field. Like my worst case scenario was, yeah, okay, Carla lays on her for two of the three rounds, squeaks by a decision, blah, 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 whatever. But to maul someone like Zhao Nam the way she did, that was eye-opening. That was kind of like, yo, I did not expect that. And the fight with Rose. So it was a uh, the second fight. It was a terrible fight, one of the worst fights we've ever seen, no questions asked. But prior to that rose was looking like a killer again rose was looking like she found a second win rose was head kicking wiley rose was winning the rematch against wiley rose was knocking out joanna rose was beating andrage in the rematch rose was doing all these things and to make rose so gun shy i guess you got to give uh, credit to carla for just the the takedown threat and when she gets on top she's very hard to get up from bottom so that is the danger here with Wiley Zhang. Now, in, in terms of what could happen if Carla is to win this fight. Now, in terms of when was the last time uh, Wiley was taken down? Well, she was taken down twice against Rose Nama Yunus. Now, th the second time they fought. And there were some controversial things about that fight, uh, being that a lot of people kind of uh, thought that Wiley actually won the second time. And not to mention... I believe it might have also been at Madison Square Garden. So where this fight's taking place. So maybe, you know, maybe the judges don't like Wiley there, but you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna put my tinfoil hat on. But what I do want to say is this. So Rose Nama Yunus was able to successfully land a takedown in the second round, and she was successfully able to land a takedown in the fifth round. And as that fight progressed. That's where Rose kind of got up on the strike counts, especially in the fourth and fifth round. Now, while I don't foresee Carla outstriking Wiley by any stretch of the imagination, the the question you got to have if you're laying minus 350 on Wiley is you don't want her to get laid on. I mean, that's just period, point blank, the case here. And again, like I've already admitted, I don't know what it is, but I always underestimate Carla Esparza. It's like she doesn't seem intimidating. She's one-dimensional, but for some reason she's <laughs> she was the first ever champ in this division, and she's the current champ in this division. I mean, she's like a Hall of Famer, as crazy as that sounds. She has an insane resume. I mean, Carla Esparza, 
We're dealing with someone who's got two wins over Rose Nama Yunus, someone that's got a win over Yan Xiaonan, over Marina Rodriguez, over Alexa Grasso, over Virna Janjidobo, over Karate Hadi, over Moroz, Calvillo. I mean, like, her resume is ridiculous for someone that doesn't look uh, as intimidating, you know? But when you're talking about Wiley Zhang, I mean, this is the one that looks intimidating. This is the one that's out here knocking out Joanna and Jacek with spinning back fist. The one that knocked out Jessica Andrade in under a minute. You know, the one that uh, picked up Tisha Torres over her head and slammed her. So, like, just if you just look at the two side by side, then, yeah, I mean, Wiley Zhang and just who's more well-rounded. Wiley Zhang is more well-rounded. It's just. So many people are more well-rounded than Carla Esparza, and they keep falling into the Carla Esparza trap. So that's the concern here. You know, it's not like we're talking about a minus 150 where I would max bet Wiley in this spot. We're talking about minus 350. A minus 350, I need all my bases covered. So, yeah, my pick is going to be Wiley Zhang. But if she comes out here and gets laid on, it's going to be like, oh, my God, Carla did it again. And, again, back to the people that, were super sharp. Bet Carla at amazing dog odds um, against uh, against Rose the last time. My personal opinion, and don't don't listen to what I have to say. You have to, at the end of the day, trust your gut. It's your money. I'm not making the bet for you. You're making the bet for yourself. Similarly, you don't make bets for me. I make my bets for myself. So you have to trust your own gut at the end of the day. But my personal opinion is that. You guys did a great job betting on Carla against Rose. You got your big dog money odds. Let's move on, right? I don't think this is the spot, but I see people going back to the well. They want to double dip. And if it cashes, oh, my God, that'd be incredible. But I think you already got your big dog money spot, and it's time to move on. I'm going to go with Wiley Zhang to finish Carla Esparza. I mean, that's what <laughs> I kind of see happening. It's just... When Carla Esparza surprises me one more time by holding down Wiley Zhang for three of these rounds, I'm not going to sit here and be pissed off because I don't have a minus 350 or a minus 400 ticket on Wiley Zhang, but you just cannot sit here and act surprised. You cannot throw your remote at the TV. You cannot, you know, throw your TV over the balcony. Like, just don't, don't cry about it, all right? You knew the dangers going into this fight. But if that doesn't happen, I think that Wiley is too well-rounded, too powerful, too athletic, too explosive, and can come out here and, and potentially finish this fight. So I'm going to go with Wiley Zhang to become a two-time world champion. Now, featured bout in the lightweight division. This is a good one. We got the future Hall of Famer, Dustin Poirier. He's 28-7, and seven, taking on Michael Chandler, the former Bellator champion, who's 23-7. and seven. And currently... At DraftKings Sportsbook, they got it. Dustin Poirier, minus 210. The comeback on Michael Chandler is plus 180. You know, I wanted to bet Dustin Poirier here, but I thought I was going to get like a minus 175. I thought, uh, you know, I was going to get a nice price. I thought that there was going to be a lot of action coming in on Michael Chandler. And, man, it sucks when you miss the line, but when you miss the line, you don't force a bet. You either take the other side or you pass. And it looks like I'm unfortunately going to have to pass because I do like Dustin Poirier in this spot. All respect to Michael Chandler. I mean, come on, man. Michael Chandler, what is he, a two- or three-time Bellator champ? And just some of the guys he's beat on his resume, whether it's the Eddie Alvarez's. That first Eddie Alvarez fight was incredible. That second Eddie Alvarez fight was incredible. First-round knockout over Benson Henderson. Like, I know Benson's seen better days, but 
Benson is historically a super durable guy. Like you all saw the shit kicking Korshkov gave Benson and Benson survived, man. And like for this dude to come out here and knock out Benson in the first round, despite what point of Benson's career he's in, like Benson doesn't usually get knocked out in the first round. Benson can usually take it for the most part. You know, I know there's been some exceptions, cough, RDA, cough, but like Michael Chandler did the thing there. And to come here into the UFC, look, Hooker, I know now he might, you know, kind of been getting finished a few fights. But at the time, like, I don't think too many people were out here finishing Hooker in the first round. And Chandler just exploded on him. Even in that fight against Oliveira, man, had some moments early. The Gaethje fight, which he lost, had some moments early, too. So, like, and then, of course, the Ferguson fight just ended Ferguson in a way where, you know, we all love Ferguson, so I'm not going to talk shit, but that was uncomfortable. That was violent. That was devastating. And that was one of the best knockouts of the year. Michael Chandler is a super explosive guy. Michael Chandler is a D1 wrestler. Michael Chandler has a long history of knocking people out in the first round. And he can also grind out decisions, too. Um, sometimes Michael Chandler falls in love with being a performer, with going out there and putting on exciting fights, which as a fan, I mean, you got to fucking love that, right? But for example, in that Gaethje fight, if you had that the dog Oz on Chandler, he had Gaethje badly hurt in that first round. And then he starts, he's just doing too much, man. He starts trying to be like Max Holloway points to the ground. He's closing his eyes and winging big shots. He's going for takedowns and then slamming his head into the mat. You know, the guy kind of redlines, which is a blessing and a curse. And here against Dustin Poirier, who I believe has the most knockouts and knockdowns in lightweight history, which is interesting because he was a featherweight prior to that. Um, it's going to it's gonna be intriguing. The early going, man. I mean, you know, the last guy, listen to this, the last guy to drop um, and knock out Dustin Poirier, his name was also Michael tinfoil hat right right now but like in 2016 michael johnson was was the last guy to knock out uh dustin poirier but since then dustin's just looked incredible man i mean the only setbacks were against habib and against charles and in both those fights he had near fight finishing moments like i don't want to get ahead of myself and say that that guillotine you know, it was close or anything against Habib, but like Habib was like, he really think I'm going to tap in front of father. You know what I mean? But like he did say like that shit was tight. I'm just not going to tap in front of my dad. Like you have to kill me to beat me in front of my dad. But the, the technique on the guillotine was beautiful. And then in the Charles fight, I mean, like there were moments in that fight. He dropped Charles. I know everybody drops Charles, but still, he still dropped Charles. and He still rocked Charles at multiple times. I think he just... Firstly, the knees to the body from Charles from that tie clinch took a lot out of Dustin. And I think that a lot of guys, um, you know, were terrified to follow up when they dropped Charles, unlike Islam. That's why I loved Islam so much in that spot, because I knew when he hurt Charles, this dude ain't scared of nobody on the map. But for good reason, guys that are not at the, you know, grappling pedigree of an Islam Makachev do fear the, <laughs> the guard of Charles Oliveira. So that let Charles Oliver recover and get back in the fight. The difference here is that if if Dustin Poirier drops or wobbles or even smells any kind of blood in the water against Michael Chandler, if you guys know about the Dustin Poirier blitz, then you know about one of the most spectacular and just beautiful finishers 
in UFC in UFC history when Dustin Poirier has you hurt and he starts going off I mean whether it was the finishing combinations against Justin Gaethje whether it was the finishing combinations against um Eddie Alvarez whether I mean like even if you go back like let's go back in the day right look at what he did to uh well Max Holloway the first time that mounted triangle the armbar that was disgusting but like even the Bobby Green fight, like when this dude's got you hurt, he swarms in a way that's beautiful destruction. Look at how he knocked out Conor McGregor the first time. As soon as he had him hurt, this dude is a shark when he smells blood in the water. And what gave him pause against Charles is he dropped Charles. And normally when Dustin's got you hurt, he swarms, but he respected the guard of Charles too much. There's not really a much of a, of a sub threat, I think from Chandler it's more of a takedown threat I think if he's got Chandler on skates which Chandler tends to get on skates a lot even in fights he wins man I mean like that Ferguson fight I know that officially I believe they didn't count a knockdown in that first round no they didn't count a knockdown in that first round for Ferguson but between you and me guys Ferguson dropped Chandler in that first round. Like Chandler got right back up. He recovered right away. He was good to go. And then he ends the round super strong with a with a beautiful blast double leg and then ends up face planting him just uh you know 17 seconds into the second round. But in that first round, the way he got tagged up a little bit at times versus a washed up Ferguson, I'm telling you now, if Dustin gets him in spots like that, Dustin will close the show. So but subsequently, Michael Chandler, I mean, when you when you talk about throwing from the hip, when you talk about, you know, just closing your eyes and landing haymakers, Michael Chandler is incredible at doing that. Michael Chandler's got a long list of first round knockouts, whether it's with his hands or most recently with that front kick to the face. Um, and then also his D1 wrestling can't be ignored. But I think the issue with with uh, Mike is. He's very susceptible to the calf kicks. And I'm not even just talking about like that fight against Brent Primus where his leg literally gave out and he couldn't get and he couldn't stand up just throughout his career. Even like Hooker before Hooker got caught, Hooker was starting to get off on a couple calf kicks. I think that Poirier, it's going to have to be an inside kick because we're talking about Southpaw versus Orthodox. Um, I think that Poirier will get off on some calf kicks here. But the big thing is once Poirier finds his range, I see a straight left coming down the pipe that wobbles Chandler. And from there, Poirier can start switching his stances, can start just going off on those big combinations, can do the signature Poirier blitz. You just got to respect the fact that Michael Chandler does have one punch knockout power upside and he does have wrestling upside. But if Michael Chandler fights like he's been fighting every single fight in the UFC, which is kill or be killed, I think... I think I trust Dustin more in that kind of fight. The only issue is, you know, Dustin just had his title fight. You know, it's these guys' dreams to be undisputed champions. And when you, you know, fail at that dream, like, more often than not, guys tend to go on the decline from there because it's like you've waited your whole life to become a world champion. And when it doesn't happen, it's like, you reach the top of the mountain. You can't just keep climbing the mountain. There's nowhere to go but down. So that's like what I'm worried about. I'm always worried about someone coming off the title fight loss, how they look in their next fight. But that being said, you know, he's had almost over a year off. He's had plenty of time to recover and plenty of time to think about it, plenty of time to grow from it. Whereas Michael Chandler, Michael Chandler is his finished product. Michael Chandler is Michael Chandler. I don't see 
any evolution in his game, but what he does bring is super dangerous. You got to look out for the dude's hell on wheels. You've seen what he's done to people throughout his career. So absolutely he's live for a knockout, but if that doesn't happen, I think the volume edge goes to Poirier. Um, and I think more knockout upside goes to Poirier. So I'm going to go with Poirier here to knock out Michael Chandler. So before I get to the next fight, some people were asking me about my opinion on the Derek Minner fight. Um, so how do you spell Chummy Delago? Is that how you pronounce your name? You said, can we get a few thoughts about the Derek Minner fight, please? All right, dude. <laughs> so riddle me this. One hour before the fight, this dude goes from minus 210 to minus 450. We're talking about Shailan. We're talking about Derek Minner's opponent. And then as soon as the fight starts, like, like, let's not even talk about the leg injury at first. Let's talk about how Derek Minner was acting every time shots went upstairs. He looked immediately like he did not want to be there. He looked immediately like he was waiting to go down. Now, and then he ends up going down pretty much in the first or second exchange. Now, by no means am I sitting here saying the UFC fixed this or that. I don't think the UFC had anything to do with that. So for anybody saying, oh, UFC is fixed, UFC is rigged, that what happened in the Minner fight had nothing to do with the UFC. So let's just go ahead and get that out of there. Um, I don't think the UFC had anything, anything to do with it. Now, a lot of people are asking me, what do I think about um, Derek Minner's coach, James Krause? Well, I think that James Krause had a fantastic career in MMA. I think he's a very smart fighter. Um, I think that he got into the betting game. Now, I don't know a lot of details because what I do know, he's got his Discord thing going on, but I've never been a part of it. You know, I'm not on Discord. I don't really like groupthink. I don't like... I'm more comfortable when people disagree with me. So I don't like being in a group of people where everyone's agreeing and, you know, everybody's on the same side as you. I'd rather just do my own thing, gather my own thoughts. So that's why I've never been part of uh, the Discord scene or whatever. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people's opinions I respect, of course. But at the end of the day, they're not placing the bets for you. You're placing the bets for yourself. And interesting, I say that, right? Because we could talk about the account takeovers and all that shit, which is like, when you talk about account takeovers, like, look, if you know someone personally, like, let's say, you know, like a really rich dude and you're close with him and hypothetically speaking, he tells you like, hey, let's put down $10,000 in a betting account. And once you get once you win me back my $10,000, you know, for, first you got to pay me back that 10000 initial investment. But from there, all the profit you make, we split 50-50. Like if you know the guy, like okay, there might be some legal, uh, some legality issues behind it, but if you can keep it under wraps and you know the person, you know personally, morally, I don't have an issue with that. But when you're trying to do account takeovers for like hundreds of people that you don't know, and then there were some things I read about how, you know, something about the split being like sixty forty or seventy thirty, and like if you don't get the money, like you're gonna be in debt to us. It was like yo. That's fucking sketchy. And then two weeks ago, the UFC releases that gambling policy, right? Like fighters and um, I know for a fact fighters are not allowed to bet on themselves anymore. They used to be able to, but not anymore. But I believe, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, this is where I might be wrong. Someone was saying something about how coaches and teammates are not allowed to bet on 
on uh, their fighters anymore. Someone tell me if that's right or wrong. I don't, I don't really know. Uh, so that makes it kind of interesting. And then with Krause's betting presence, like I'm not accusing him of nothing because I don't, again, I'm not in his discord. I don't know the guy. But there is an expression and a saying where there's smoke, there's fire. So would I be surprised if he had inside of his own fighter being injured and, you know, him letting someone know, you know, with his presence in the betting game these days? No, I would not be surprised by that. But I also believe in, um, you know, everybody. Uh, what's the saying about? Oh, yeah. Innocent until proven guilty. Right. Like I, I still believe in the American judicial system in terms of like, you got to go to trial before you're proven guilty. Now, are there signs that are huge red flags that are super sketchy that are like, yo, like this guy is definitely guilty. I mean, you could definitely draw that conclusion, but I would just love to see what the investigation says and take it from there because I don't have concrete evidence and I don't know for a fact, I don't know the guy, you know, so I don't know for a fact what happened. All I know is it is super fucking sketchy that an hour before the fight, this dude went from minus 210 to minus 450. And as soon as the fight starts, he's acting like he wants no part of the fight. And then he basically goes down in the first exchange and doesn't try to fight at all. Yeah, that was super fucking sketchy. So let's see what comes out of the investigation. I'm very, very excited to uh, to see what happens. My boy, Random Malakis or Random Marcos, you know, our inner joke, he says, you're right about coaches and teams not being allowed to bet on fights anymore. But I wonder to like what extent, you know, because like, for example, one of my good friends, Robert Hales, fighting this weekend at CFFC and there's betting odds on him. Now, he and I are not teammates, but we're very good friends. We trained together in the past, but now we're, we're not teammates anymore. We're just close friends. Like, is am I going to get in trouble if I bet on him? But that's CFFC, so no, I won't. But let's say he was in the UFC, right? Let's say my boy Jared Nitran Good. Let's hypothetically say he was back in the UFC, and let's say I bet on him. Would I get in trouble because I have inside info? We're not training partners. We're just friends. So that's what makes it interesting. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what I think. I just know that where there's smoke, there's fire, and that shit was super fucking sketchy super sketchy and listen i know there was a lot of controversy about the o'malley and peter yan fight i know there was a lot of controversy about the dustin jacoby and khalil roundtree fight but my opinion of those two fights was and i know this might piss some people off because i know people lost bets on yan and jacoby but like to me honestly i just thought that those were two really competitive fights and whether you agree with the decision or not, like both guys had moments in both fights. Like they were both just hard fought battles. So people calling the UFC rigged because of those fights, I disagreed with that a hundred percent, but saying that there's some sketchy shit going on now with this minor fight, hundred percent, but not on the UFC's part somewhere else, because it's like, who could have leaked that information? It had to have been someone close to the minor camp, right? Like, how else would it would it would it have gotten out? So, yeah, where there's smoke, there's fire, hundred percent. So, I'm uh, and someone said the TJ incident, but here's the thing about the TJ fight: the Aljo line was under minus two hundred up until fight time. So, like the word didn't get out; like they kept it under wraps. And from a like ethical level, in terms of being a fan, yeah, it was really fucked up. TJ took it, but like TJ was like posting pics, looking ripped up until the fight. I think he really thought he was going to win that fight, and also. From his standpoint, it's like, 
you're going to have to sit out a year no matter what because of the injury, but it's like you either sit out a year and pull out the fight and don't get paid or you, uh, you take the fight, get your six-figure paycheck, and then sit out a year. So I think he opted to... I'm gonna have to sit out a year, no matter what. But I'd rather sit out a year with a six-figure paycheck than sit out a sit out a year with, you know, no uh, with no compensation. Um, someone said 26 out of 26 people scored it for Yan Dan. How many close fights can you get 26 to agree on a decision? I feel you, and I mean, I low-key did think Yan won the fight, but I don't really give a shit what a bunch of group think people, and you know, the, the dude they consider the authority on like on MMA judging is some fucking obese dude that like has never been in a gym in his life. So like, to me, I don't really care like what a bunch of group think people thought about that. What I care is about what I saw and what I saw, despite me scoring it two to one for Yan, I thought it was a close competitive back and forth fight, man. So like I've seen way worse decisions than that, man. Like, and I just don't care about what the MMA decisions thing says like, because how credible are like most of those people's uh, opinions and no disrespect. Like I know some people are credible, but some of these other people on there, it's like, who the fuck are you? Like, what do you know about this sport? So again, I'm not defending the decision. I'm just saying that I don't believe an investigation needs to happen because of the Yan O'Malley fight. I don't think an investigation needs to happen because of the Jacoby fight, but the fucking Minner fight hundred percent there needs to be an investigation and granted there is an investigation going on the fact that that happens two weeks or one week after they release their betting policy uh the timing is incredible man so yeah i i can't wait to see what comes out of this and uh let's see let's see you know nothing's gonna surprise me so i hope i cover that now uh, let's talk about this fight between uh frankie edgar and chris gutierrez so next up in the bantamweight division we got the retirement fight, the swan song for the legend, Frankie Edgar, the former UFC lightweight champion. That's right, lightweight. He's ending his career at Bantamweight, but this guy was the man that dethroned the great BJ Penn and beat him three times. He's also a former featherweight title challenger, and now uh, he's at Bantamweight, you know? So Frankie, the answer, Edgar, the legend. He's 24, 10, and 1 taking on Chris Gutierrez, who's 8-3-2. And, and currently, they got it. Chris Gutierrez, minus 210. The comeback on Frankie the Answer, Edgar, is plus 180. So, now before I break down this fight, just got to tip my proverbial cap to, to Frankie Edgar, man. I mean, like, one of the best fights I've ever seen. I mean, he's been involved in so many of the best fights I've ever seen. And I know y'all are going to think I'm about to bring up the Gray Maynard trilogy, which was fucking amazing. I mean, the first UFC event I ever went to was the Gray Maynard trilogy, uh, UFC 136 in Houston uh, for like my 21st birthday, man. It was just amazing. Uh, you can even see me in the crowd, like with my hands in the air when uh, Frankie knocks Gray out. So, man, I, I'll shed a tear thinking about Frankie Edgar, but my favorite all-time Frankie Edgar fight. And Y'all got to check this fight out. His UFC debut against Tyson Griffin. If you just want to see a back and forth, amazing fight, just constant exchanges on the feet, constant grappling scrambles, deep knee bars that, where you show fucking hard and don't tap out and just nonstop back and forth. You watch Frankie Edgar versus Tyson Griffin. I remember watching that fight thinking to myself like, man, 
one of these two guys is going to go on to be a future world champion. And Tyson Griffin was super hyped at the time. I don't know if, if y'all remember, but Tyson Griffin was the man back then. And it ended up being Frankie Edgar that ended up winning a UFC belt. And when he dethroned BJ Penn, I remember um, I was at my grandmother's uh, apartment in Mexico, you know, rest in peace, um, watching it on some fucking shitty AOL 56K stream, like where it was cutting in and out and I could barely see what's going on. But I got to see Frankie dethrone the great BJ Penn. And wow. And a lot of people thought that fight was controversial at the time. And then he rematches him in Boston and makes it super decisive. Then many years down the line, they coach tough together and they do a trilogy and Frankie just <laughs> annihilated the great BJ Penn. So, I mean, Frankie hall of famer legend. I'm just, you know, it used to be a thing with Frankie where like you could hit this guy with a baseball bat and he would just keep going forward. Cause I mean, like you look at the fights he had with gray Maynard, right? And Gray Maynard in that, uh, let me pull it up. Okay, so Gray Maynard gets three knockdowns in the, in the first, it's actually the second fight because they fought once before they were both, you know, title challengers. And Gray Maynard actually won a decision. That was just a three round fight. But I'm talking about the two uh, title fights now. So the second Gray Maynard fight, the one that, that was a draw, Gray Maynard goes out there, drops Frankie Edgar three times in the first round. And like, it's just like, wow, like Frankie Edgar's rolling all over the place. It's like, man, like what's it going to take to knock this guy out? And then they rematch in, in the trilogy and Gray Maynard gets off to a massive start again. And still, and even in that Frankie Edgar versus Benson Henderson fight, y'all remember that up kick that Frankie ate against Benson? And Frankie goes on to, you know, to obviously I talked about the BJ Penn wins, but this guy beat Charles Oliveira, Uriah Faber, Cub Swanson, Yair Rodriguez, Cub Swanson another time, Pedro Munoz, like such a legend. The issue is I mentioned how you used to be able to hit this guy with a baseball bat and he'd keep coming forward and then he'd pick you up and slam you. Now he's been knocked out brutally in three of his last four fights. The durability it's just simply not there. And I mean, rightfully so. My boy's what, 40 years old now? I mean, that's what that's just how this sport goes. That's just the circle of life. And, you know, um, I'm glad that he's getting out now when he is because you just don't want to see these guys stick around too long and go on like seven fight skids and whatnot. So I'm glad he's getting out when he's getting out. Um, and I'm so grateful to have witnessed his incredible career, his Hall of Fame worthy career. So here with Chris Gutierrez. You guys know exactly what Chris Gutierrez brings to the table. The guy has probably the best calf kicks in the Bantamweight division, the hardest kicker at Bantamweight, or at least one of them, right? Um, and uh, it's not just the calf kicks that Frankie needs to be worried about here. I think also the check knees, the step-through knees, because Frankie, when he's trying to level change, that could be a good time for for Chris Gutierrez to time one of those knees. And I'm not talking about like a flying knee like Corey Sanhagen did, which a flying knee could be there too, but I'm referring to just the step through and the check knees that could discourage Frankie from, uh, you know, going for a shot. So Frankie actually does have a path to victory because what I've seen from Gutierrez when he gets taken down, he's not some novice, you know, he's not giving up a bunch of bad positions, but it's like the urgency to get back up isn't quite there. So sometimes he'll kind of just play guard a little bit, which, yeah, I mean, I love jujitsu too, but that's not going to win you fights at the UFC level unless your guard is ridiculous like uh, like Charles Dubronx. So we're going to talk about this other kid, uh, Claudio Puelas, here in a little bit. But, um, you know, 
Frankie's got a path here. The path here is that Frankie needs to come out here and get two rounds of top control, land some ground and pound, hold this guy down. And in that other round that you don't have the ground control, don't get knocked out, and you can come out here win a 29-28 decision. So that's a possibility. The things I'm worried about is obviously the calf kicks, which should be a main talking point for a lot of people, not just because that's Chris Gutierrez's biggest strength, but even in Frankie's prime, that was actually a big weapon used against him. You go back and you watch uh, the Benson Henderson fight, and Benson Henderson, one of the original guys that brought the calf kicks to the MMA game, was dropping Frankie with calf kicks in that fight, and even uh, the two Jose Aldo fights, Jose was having a lot of success with leg kicks, so I know that the leg kicks will be there for Chris, but on the flip side, going for those leg kicks, you miss time one of those. That's where Frankie could, you know, duck under, time a nice entry on a, you know, um, time a nice entry on a level change, get a takedown, and from there, Frankie's got great top control even to this day. So Frankie's actually got a path here. It's just, you know, usually when I look at cards, obviously the number is the most important thing to me, but I always look at, you know, who doesn't belong in the UFC or who's about to retire, you know, this and that, a bunch of things I look at. He's about to retire. So I can't bet on him for that reason. But I do think he's got a path to give me two rounds of top control and survive one round. And you can win a 29-28 and put your gloves in the center of the octagon, have a beautiful speech, go out on top. But, you know, there's not too many Cinderella stories in MMA. And uh one of the best retirements I've ever seen was actually when Chris Lytle fought Dan Hardy. Chris Lytle had got to get got to have his moment where he got the uh, the performance of the night and the fight of the night. Had his beautiful speech, went out on a win. I think most likely Chris Gutierrez does chop him down, does kind of intercept him with those knees down the middle. Um, kind of, I like the footwork from. Chris Gutierrez, too. He's very elusive. I'm just worried for his sake, you know, laying a price like minus 210. I'm worried if he gets backed up into the fence, Frankie can still wrestle, you know? And Frankie can box, too. It's just Frankie just can't take it as well as he once could. I mean, he used to get dropped back in his prime, but now he's getting knocked out in fights. So, I mean, I got to go with Chris Gutierrez here. I'm just not in a rush to lay this price. And that's coming from me, who did lay the price on Cheeto Vera, who did lay the price on Chan Sung John, who actually did lay the price on Pedro Munoz and lost, right? Uh, so, you know what I really wish, guys? Like, so you know how the UFC have this way of like, when a fighter's about to retire, they use that as kind of like an opportunity to build up an upcoming prospect. Dude, I kind of wish they gave this fight to Yanez. Like, no disrespect to Gutierrez. The guy's unbeaten in his last seven fights. He's been putting in work, and he's 100% earned a big fight and a big name on his resume, for sure. But I think Yanez is a more exciting prospect. I would have liked to see Yanez get that, that win under his resume more than Gutierrez. No, dis no disrespect. Gutierrez is the man. Um, but, yeah, I'd be, but the reason I say that is because if you gave me that minus 210 on Yanez, I'd be betting it big. The reason I'm worried about Gutierrez is because, like, you saw my boy Cody Durden, who's a flyweight, a flyweight, uh, hold down Gutierrez for the entire first round. You saw Bad Gary, who's not known for his wrestling. As soon as he got Gutierrez down, Gutierrez couldn't get back up. And my boy Pepe brought up a hey, Pedro got robbed against Edgar. Yeah, I agree, but I, I I didn't get my money back on that one. You know, the bookies uh, the bookies didn't think it was a robbery. You know, so. Uh, and, and like, even though I thought Pedro won that fight, 
like the fact that it was even as competitive as it was and frankie still got two takedowns frankie still landed over 130 significant strikes like i was expecting pedro to just go in there and just knock this guy out in the first round right like so even if it went to a split decision that still outperformed my expectations of what i thought going into the fight and showed that the minus i don't remember what the price i laid was minus something the minus money i laid was you know not the best bet you know yeah did i get it back on marlon chito vera of course i always bet on vera but a different story here i i do lean chris gutierrez i think he finds a way to get it done i think he does systematically chop down the legend but the legend's got a path to victory in this one give me two rounds of top control survive one of the other rounds and you can you can get this fucking moment frankie but am i counting on that to happen probably not so i'll pick chris gutierrez to win this fight now next up kicking off the main card in the lightweight division we got dan hooker he's 21 and 12 taking on peru's claudio puelas who's 12 and 2. currently they got it dan hooker minus 165 the comeback on claudio puelas is plus 140. this is a really good fight um and you know claudio puelas has been doing his thing he's put together a nice little five fight win streak so now the next logical step up in competition is the dan hooker test dan hooker's at the point of his career now where he's basically testing to see if guys are ready for that next level right like because he had his run he got to his dustin poirier fight and his dustin poirier fight was basically kind of like his title eliminator type fight like had he beat dustin poirier he might have got a title shot but he lost to dustin poirier in an amazing fight so then he kind of became somewhat of a gatekeeper slash tester of where you are where do you fit into the division right so next fight against chandler it was chandler's debut is chandler a top 10 guy or not well knocks out hooker in the first round yep he's a top 10 guy nazrat nazrat was on a little roll at the time nazrat are you ready for the top 15 or not nope nazrat was not ready for the top 15 dan hooker showed out in that fight dan hooker went out there outlanded this guy by triple the strikes landed three takedowns gave him a nice little mma clinic islam makachev that was kind of like a short notice replacement i think that dan was i think that islam was supposed to fight benny and benny broke his ankle so dan stepped up on short notice props to him so no let's not hold the islam fight against him islam's the motherfucking champ but the arnold allen fight and oh my god like arnold allen's was one of my favorite bets this year against cater and against fucking uh hooker i mean and people can talk all the shit that they want about the injury in the cater fight but prior to the injury it was beautiful and if you want to talk about well what would have happened down the stretch because in the sodiq fight he gassed yeah well sodiq fought in you know there were a lot of grueling grappling exchanges in that sodiq fight which caused him to fatigue whereas it looked like target practice to me in the cater allen fight but i digress all I know is if they ran it back, you gave me the same price, I'd bet Allen again. And I did bet Allen against Hooker at plus 110, one of my favorite bets of the year. And it showed, like, Allen is ready for the top five. But now Hooker goes back up to 155, which I think is the right move for him because even in his earlier career, I mean, I bet on fucking Jason Knight to beat Dan Hooker back when he was at Featherweight. So I think lightweight is where Dan Hooker does his best. So what's interesting about this matchup, this is another chance to see this is a test is claudio ready for the top 15 at lightweight or not this is going to let us know right now where he stands in the division because the thing about this kid claudio is he's kind of a specialist right 
firstly, if you compare Claudio to how he looked when he first came into the UFC, like when he fought Martin Bravo, when he fought uh, Felipe Silva, like when he was just this scrawny little kid, like he's kind of growing into a man. Like now he's jacked, he's ripped, he's got confidence, he's on a win streak. Like if you would have told me the guy that fought Martin Bravo was going to go on a five-fight win streak in the UFC, I would have been like, yeah, you're at your fucking mind. Like this dude ain't going to last two fights in the UFC. So he's been making his style work. He's kind of what I'd consider a specialist he's an opportunistic submission fighter as a jujitsu guy myself as a purple belt you know i love watching uh, him fight but for him to make this his style work here certain things need to happen i mean on the feet on the feet i mean dan hooker is night and day better than him offensively speaking dan hooker has infinitely more volume dan hooker's got way more variety on the feet the shot selection, I mean, it's, you can't even compare the offensive tools on the feed from Dan Hooker and Claudio Puelas. Dan Hooker's got him covered there offensively. Defensively, there's questions about, you know, Hooker used to be that guy similar to Edgar that you could hit with the baseball bat and he'd smile at you. I mean, if you go back and you watch this guy's second UFC fight against Maximo Blanco where he absorbed 132 significant strikes and just kept going forward, or even the Paul Felder fight, the Dustin Poirier fight, like, Dan Hooker used to be able to hit this guy with everything, but you know now the Michael Chandler or the Arnold Allen fights, he has been knocked out in the first round a couple times. Now, granted, Claudio doesn't hit like those guys. I, I get it. And Claudio on the feet is more of a kicker. You know, from that southpaw stance, got some big kicks, but that's about the extent of it. Um, so what we need to worry about if you're on Hooker is Claudio Polis has a good you know, a decent single leg. And from that single leg, if he doesn't get on top, he tries to pull guard. And from there, he tries to attack with, with triangle chokes, with arm bars, with umaplatas, and most importantly, his knee bars. That's his most dangerous move. But I actually do have evidence that Dan Hooker can defend leg locks. If you go back all the way to Dan Hooker's UFC debut against Ian Entwistle, I'm talking about in June 2014, Ian Entwistle was known for just being that guy that would rip people's legs apart, and Ian Entwistle immediately pulls guard on Dan Hooker, attacking the uh, the heel hooks, and Dan Hooker defended them perfectly. You know, he was able to grab the wrist, create that separation. You love to see it. Another example of Dan Hooker defending leg locks is in the Ally Kinta fight. For whatever reason, Ally Kinta, kind of known more for his boxing, would actually drop back for leg locks in certain fights, and and he did do that in the Dan Hooker fight. Dan Hooker was able to defend that. So those are two examples of Dan Hooker defending, you know, leg attacks from a submission guy. And the thing I'm most worried about is, you know, at some point, like, like if you just compare the level of competition, you can't. I mean, Claudio Pulis has been fighting fucking Jordan Levitt and, you know, all these guys that are nowhere near Dan Hooker's level, right? Like guys nowhere near the rankings, guys that have not been, besides Clay Guida, who Clay Guida's the man. Clay Guida beat RDA, Pettis, uh, fucking Nate Diaz, all these guys, right? RDA also, uh, excuse me, Clay Guida beat all these guys. Um, but Clay Guida is also at the end of his run, right? So, and when you beat Clay Guida, you usually beat him via first round submission. That tends to be the reoccurring theme here. So, it, it, it's tough because it's like, does Dan Hooker still have enough to beat guys that are outside the top 15, right? Like now we know that anybody in the top 10 is going to beat Dan Hooker. Like we've established that, but how do guys outside the top 15 perform against him? And, that, and that's what's, that's what we're going to find out here. So 
I do have to go with Dan Hooker here. I mean, I respect Puelas. I'm a fan of his game. He's a specialist. He doesn't try to do anything uncharacteristic. He fights exactly where his strengths lie. And if he fucking comes out here and gets like a, a Nevar or Uma Plata or let me give him credit though, because it's not just like Nevar or bust. I have seen him also go out there and win rounds with top control. So you got to give him credit, you know, the single leg to, you know, get to half guard, pass the side control, get the full mount, take the back. Like some of the fundamentals on the mat were there. And some of these past fights I've seen. So I don't think it's just knee bar or bust, but I do think it's grappling based attack or bust. And Dan Hooker seems pretty, seems pretty damn good on the ground. The issues I've had with Hooker is, you know, the guy doesn't, the guy's always been hittable since day one, but now he's not wearing the damage as good as he, as good as he once did. You know, he used to really wear the damage well, but he's not able to as good these days. So let's see if Claudio Puz fights uncharacteristic and tries to headhunt against Dan Hooker. I'm curious, but. I think if Dan Hooker plays this smart, I think that the variety on the feet, you know, makes in those straight punches, the jabs. And I love that knee that Dan Hooker has up the middle. Try to keep this upright. If you do go to the ground, you know, try to stay on top, try to neutralize him, try to avoid these submission attacks, which are going to be there. Claudio Pulis will chain his submission attempts. And I think Claudio Pulis has come a long way. And I think he's got a brighter future than I once anticipated. I just kind of got to see this one to know exactly where he's at. So I was confident in Arnold Allen against Dan Hooker, um, like real confident. Like I was like, yeah, Arnold Allen's on Arnold Allen's ready for that test. Not sure that Claudio Puelas is. So my pick is Dan Hooker. Um, but let's see if Claudio's ready for it. Then then all fucking due respect to him, man. You know, it's it's amazing. Like you got to understand that. Every champion was once a contender and every contender was once a prospect. So I understand he's never fought or beat anyone on the level of Dan Hooker, but that doesn't mean he can't rise to the occasion. I'm just not convinced he does. I was convinced Arnold uh, Arnold would, but I'm not convinced Claudio does, but let's see, maybe he proves me wrong. So my pick is, uh, is Dan Hooker here. All right, guys. So before I talk about the feature prelim between Hanato Moicano and Brad Riddell, which is a fucking amazing fight. Y'all do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. And let me give a big shout out to today's sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. So, guys, UFC 281 is live from New York this Saturday. Get closer to the octagon with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on UFC 281 and get $200 in free bets if your fighter wins. Check this out right now. Everyone can team up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped up parlays. Go to go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a parlay today with three or more picks and combine multiple multiple bets like which fighter will win total rounds and more so like for example like with their same you know um same fighter parlay things like if you think claudio polis is going to win and you think he's going to win by submission you can bet claudio polis and claudio polis by submission in the same parlay that's what they let you do if you think izzy's going to win by decision you can you can bet izzy and the over and Izzy by decision. So it's pretty cool what they let you do if you're into that kind of thing. So 
With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where to go to bet on UFC. So, guys, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code LEVY. That's my last name. You spell it just like Levi Jeans, L-E-V-I. Throw down $5 on UFC 281 and get $200 in free bets if your fighter wins. That's code LEVY this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, y'all. Thank you, DraftKings Sportsbook, for sponsoring today's episode of the show. And without further ado, let's talk about this featured prelim between Hanato Moicano. He's 16 and 5, taking on Brad Riddell, who is 10 and 3. And currently, they got it. Hanato Moicano, minus 125. The comeback on Brad Riddell is plus 105. I love this fight for a variety of reasons. I think that both guys can capitalize where the other guy is weak. I think that with Hanato, you know, I love the long-range strikes. I love that he fights behind his jab, the calf kicks. I mean, don't sleep on his hooks either. And, I mean, you still saw what he did to Cater back in the day, those big kicks. But the, the thing I like most about Hanato, man, I mean, you saw that fight against Tukugov where he was – he got taken down. He was just able to sweep effortlessly. And when this guy takes your back, chances are he's tapping you out. So Hanato is a problem on that mat. And with Brad Riddell, he's got the kickboxing background. He's kind of this short, stocky fireball. He's got big hooks, big overhands, also has nice calf kicks, fights behind his jabs, has some beautiful setups to his shots, nice feints. And don't sleep on his ground game either. Like, don't get me wrong. I know he got submitted his last fight, but. And Jalen Turner is fucking six foot three. And those long ass uh, limbs get under your neck. It's not because his ground game sucks. I mean, you just got to give credit to Turner on that. But that being said, I still, if I were to bet Brad Riddell here, I still would not, I still would not want Hinata Moicano taking his back. I mean, that's, that's understood. So, but that being said, standing and banging is where it gets interesting here because Hanato Moicano, offensively speaking, I love his stand-up. I mean, I love he fights like a long man. Um, the issue is in fighting like a long man, he's got that tall man's defense. His chin has been clipped on multiple occasions. And what I saw in that fight between Brad Riddell and Rafael Fiziev. I mean, people can just talk about the knockout all they want, but up until then, that was a very just competitive, high-level, tactical, technical, strategic battle between two very elite kickboxers. And I think that some of those combinations he was throwing on Fiziev, I mean, some of those are going to knock a guy like Hanato out or at least drop him. So while I do think this fight is going to be competitive at times, I actually think Brad Riddell gets back on track here, and I think I think he's got some knockout upside in this spot. So I haven't moved in yet, but usually when I'm leading a side and he's the dog, I tend to bet them. So this is a possible bet for me on Brad Riddell at plus 105 at dog odds. Um, you know, just make sure you follow me at best uh, fight picks on Twitter and also my bet MMA tip slash best fight picks to find out if I'm moving on it. But I'm eyeing Brad Riddell here. I think that he can capitalize on the tall man's defense of, of Hanato Moicano. I also think Hanato Moicano's takedowns aren't exactly the best. You know, I'm talking about the singles and the doubles, but if he can get to that body lock, that's where he does really good. And then take the back, his back take is really fucking good. That's what I'm worried about, man. I do not want uh, Hanato Moicano on Brad Riddell's back, right? 
And also, I mean, there's questions about Brad Riddell's confidence coming off two stoppage losses, but he seems to me like he's got a good camp around him with the city kickboxer guys. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He doesn't strike me as a guy who is just going to pack it in. I think he's probably coming out here hungry. And I think this is a matchup he can get back on track uh, with. So, you know, I agree with it being a pick The only difference is I think it should be flipped with slight lean on Riddell and dog eyes on Moicano. So I'm going to go with Brad Riddell to get back on track here. Now, this one should be really interesting. In the 205-pound division, we got the return of Dominic the Devastator Reyes. He's 12-3, and taking on Ryan Superman Span, who's 20-7. and And currently, they got it. Dominic Reyes, minus 225. The comeback on Ryan Span is plus 190. So initially, when this fight first got announced, I was like, oh, man, like maybe I'm going to take this dog shot on Ryan Spann because like where's Reyes' confidence at? Where's his head at after these three brutal losses? Well, the Jones one wasn't brutal in terms of the physical, but the Jones loss was brutal in terms of the mental, right? Like, you know, the guy still doesn't seem like he's over that fucking loss. Like he still talks about how he should have beat John Jones. It's like, dude, like we've moved on. You should too, right? Um, the Jan Blahovich fight, he said he was still thinking about John in that fight, but I'll give him credit. The Yuri fight, even though the end was... The ending was devastating. Like, he still showed a lot of heart in the Yuri fight. He still ate a lot of big shots, gave a lot of big shots, and, like, went, like, you know, went out on a shield like a man. And, like, the thing about Span is I think Span's ultra-talented. I think Span's got a lot of physical attributes. He's six foot five. He's got the long reach. He can knock people out. He can tap people out. Very opportunistic guillotine. And I think, athletically speaking, Ryan Span. Is a super talented guy. My issue with Ryan Spann, I got two issues. The mental side of things. I don't know what it is, but he's always struck me as kind of a head case a little bit. I could be way off. I don't know the guy personally, but I think that when you see UFC fighters putting their Twitter profiles on private and stuff like that, just because the fans talked a little bit of shit, hey, that comes with the territory, man. Like, So that showed me a little bit that you know the guy might be a bit of a head case. And then the other thing is, Ryan Spann has been knocked out three times the exact same way. Like, no fucking joke, the exact same way. And that exact same way is this. This guy will get in on a double leg and will get Travis Brown elbowed to the ear, the temple, the side of the head. He's been knocked out on three separate occasions that way. Once on the regionals, once uh, against Carl Roberson on contenders, and once against Johnny Walker. And in the Johnny Walker, when he got into that position, you could hear his coach safe who's one of the best fucking coaches in, in all of MMA, who's one of the smartest guys, he knew right away what was about to happen. He's like, Ryan, get out of there. Ryan, get out of there. And it's like, we want to take Johnny Walker down because Johnny Walker is most dangerous on his feet. You know, despite the chin issues, Johnny Walker is most dangerous on the feet. We know that. He's less dangerous off his back. I'll tell you that much. So Ryan goes in for that takedown and coach safe immediately knew oh my god it's gonna happen again and it fucking happened again man three times getting knocked out the exact same way on a takedown attempt so he goes for a, a sloppy shot on reyes don't be surprised if a fourth time happens but all that aside man i still think that dominic reyes is on a different level than ryan span like if you look at ryan span's last two fights so the iwan kutalaba fight I know it looks great. He got that guillotine choke, and I love this guy's guillotine. He's got a nasty guillotine. Plus, I'm a guillotine truther. I fucking love the guillotine. It's one of my favorite submissions. But that being said, like, if you actually watch what happened in that fight, like, Iwan took him down twice easily. 
And then on the third attempt, he fucking shot from a mile out, said, please take my neck. And Ryan was like, say less, <laughs> say no more, fam. You know, he, he obliged with no issue and snatched that guillotine. Dominic Reyes is not going to be shooting from a mile out. Dominic Reyes has a really good distance game, and he can do a couple different things. He can point you up and go out there and win a decision where he outlands you on volume, but also he can knock people out with that straight left down the pipe, the uppercut, and Ryan Spann is a bit on the chinnier side. Like Not even those three examples I mentioned to you with the Travis Brown elbows, but also even that fight against uh, Anthony Smith most recently, like the second to last fight he had, you know, he was getting dropped all over the place, man. He gets a little bit too wild. He gets a little bit too carried away. Whereas Dominic Reyes kind of does stay composed for the most part. And if, as long as Dominic Reyes isn't out here fucking talking about John Jones, you know, <laughs> I think Dominic Reyes is the side here. Um, as long as he's not damaged goods, you know, but I like the fact that he left California. He got outside his comfort zone. He went to train with uh, Glover and Alex Pereira in Connecticut. So, you know, got away from all the yes, man, took over a year off, which he needed to do. So, like, those are the right things. Like, after such a devastating loss against Yuri, you got to take over a year off. You got to change something, man. And that's what he did. Takes over a year off, gets out of his comfort zone. No more yes, man. So, just please don't fucking talk about John Jones this week, dude. But uh, I like Dominic Reyes here. So, I, I think Dominic Reyes gets back on track. Like, the guys that have been beating Reyes are all champions. John Jones, undefeated champion. Jan Blahovich, former champion. Yuri Prohaska, current champion. So I think that even though officially Dominic doesn't have a win over anybody in the top 15, crazy, right? Like that's how fast the sport has moved on. I think that this is a guy he can beat. So I think he comes out here. I think he actually knocks out Ryan Spann. So give me Dominic Reyes to get back on track. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Aaron Blanchfield. She's nine and one, taking on Beatball Molly McCann, who was 13 and four. And currently, they got it Aaron Blanchfield minus 390. The comeback on Molly McCann is plus 320. So, I mean, obviously, I understand why Aaron's favored, and I favor Aaron as well, but. When you're talking about from a betting perspective, there was a time when Aaron Blanchfield was considered underrated when I bet her at plus 125 against Miranda Maverick. Like, that's that was beautiful. But, like, that last fight against JJ where she's, like, minus 600, loses the first round. Like, now here again, minus 390. Like, yeah, do I think she should be favored here? Yes, because of the grappling upside in terms of offensive grappling. Like, Molly actually, I like Molly because. She kind of reminds me of like a chick Frankie Edgar has kind of decent boxing is able to just kind of mix in takedowns. And like I've seen her go out there offensively grappling like when she's out here taking these chicks down, picking them up and slamming them. You love to see it. Good top control. Molly's pretty well rounded. It's just that when Molly gets taken down, what we've seen in the past is she often isn't able to get back up. And that's a concern here against a black belt like Blanchfield. Now, to Molly's credit, in that Procopio fight, she had a near, near armbar attempt. That man, that shit was so fucking close against Procopio. So, you know, she might have some moments. But the thing I'm worried about when you're talking about like minus 400 on Aaron is like we need guarantees that Aaron is going to come out here and fight smart. Like if Aaron wants to come out here and get into a stand and ban contest for her ego, 
not saying she can't win that fight, but that's given Molly a chance. And like when you're laying minus 400, I need guarantees, man. I, I need to know you're going to come out here smart, do the right thing, and don't give me a sweat. And I think there is a potential sweat on, on your hands. Now, don't get me wrong. I kind of wish they were still giving Molly, you know, letting her kind of run through the kind of people she's been fighting, let her go on that tour, keep fighting in England, keep building her brand. But they're testing her now. Uh, but I think it's also a test for Blanchfield. Like, you got to understand, Blanchfield's still young, man. Like, Blanchfield is only 23 years old. She's just a kid. She's only had a couple fights in the UFC. Now, granted, she's handled those couple fights in the UFC very, very accordingly. We love what we, what we see, and she's 100% a bright prospect. But Molly is a battle-tested vet. So all I'm trying to say here is that if Aaron wants to come out here excited and stand and bang and you know, kind of fight like she did that first round against JJ, and don't be don't be surprised to see Molly have some some success here. But if Aaron's gonna play this smart, you know, target that weakness where that weakness isn't, you know, that you're just gonna come out here and just full mount Molly and just maul her and just submit her. I don't think that's the weakness. It's more so you take her down, you neutralize her, you kill minutes off the clock. That's one round in the bag. You know, take it, take it with that kind of approach. Then I think Aaron wins. So I mean, Aaron's my pick. It's just not really in any kind of rush to lay minus 400 on it so but i do like aaron but molly fights with a lot of spirit molly fights with a lot of heart so and sometimes these women's mma fights go closer than anticipated so don't cry robbery if it's a, if it's a split decision but yeah i'll pick aaron blanchfield for the win but not interested at minus 400 now Next up in the middleweight division, we got a match between Andre Petrovsky, he's eight and one, taking on Wellington Terman, who is eighteen and five. Currently, they got it. Andre Petrovsky minus two hundred. The comeback on Wellington Terman is plus one seventy. Another interesting fight. I really like this fight a lot. Firstly, shout out to my boy Wellington Terman for catching the, uh, those dog odds against Misha Serkunov with an arm bar off his back. Like that, that was dope as fuck. You know, I love fading Misha Serkunov. Really pissed I didn't fade him against Alonzo. I don't know why I didn't, but I did against Terman. So shout out to my boy Terman. Um, you know, I think Petrovsky gets a lot of heat, man. I think Petrovsky gets a lot of heat for that gas tank, but it's not that, you know, this dude is not out here running his miles or anything like that is that this dude goes balls to the wall and when you do that when you just you know go 100 miles per hour kind of like michael chandler does i mean it's only science that you're gonna slow down that's just the bottom line about it but when you look at this guy's numbers i mean i know the level of competition has been low i i completely understand that but the numbers are beautiful on, on the petrovsky side thus far that could very well change as soon as he steps up in competition. And I do consider Terman a step up in competition. But, you know, this guy lands double what he absorbs. His striking accuracy, striking accuracy is 60 over 60%. The defense is on point, too. Takedown defense, 100%. Lands over four takedowns per 15 minutes. So, like, these, these are beautiful numbers. Now, again, I get it. The dudes he's fought, you better have beautiful numbers fighting the guys he's fought. But with Terman, so on one hand, I think Terman's been getting a lot better. You know, he's also, he's just a kid. He was born in 1996. I wouldn't know what the fuck it means to be born in 1996. He's just a kid. So you got to give him a lot of credit. He's been getting a lot better. But on the flip side, we have seen certain weaknesses that I think a guy like Petrovsky can definitely capitalize on early. 
some of those examples being this. The debut against Carl Roberson. Carl Roberson was getting tapped out left and right every single fight. Like, didn't Carl Roberson, uh, like, wasn't able to, like, escape the back takes from Wellington Termon and end up on top in this guy's guard? That that gives me some hope for, for Petrosky's chances. The uh, Andrew Sanchez and Bruno Blindado fights, I mean, he took Bruno's back, and when Bruno was able to reverse the position, similar to Carl Roberson, excuse me, the difference was Bruno got him out of there viciously. Andrew got him out of there viciously. And Andrew ain't exactly known for being a knockout guy. The Sam Alvey fight, look, I disagree with it being a split. I thought that Termont clearly won. But, like, Termont unanimously lost the third round to Sam Alvey. Just like someone else on this card named Ryan Spam. But, uh, and then the Misha Serkuna fight, Misha outlanded him, uh, doubled him up on strikes. But beautiful armbar from guard. I love it, you know, and I cashed on term on there. So I was happy about it, but I can't sit here and act like I was like it was a stress free bet. It wasn't like when I watch Arnold Allen fight and I'm smiling the entire time. I was fucking like, 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 term come on, man, you know. So I think Petrosi is going to come out here and win these first two rounds and not get a finish. The, the thing, though, about this whole talk about him slowing down and term taking over late is like, Back to that Alvey fight, I mean, Termont unanimously lost that third round against Sam Alvey, so it's not like he's a lock to just win down the stretch. It's just the thing about well, uh, about Petrosky, you know, the guy just goes balls to the wall, whether it's from his wrestling background. You know, the guy's a former D1 and D2 wrestler. He's also either a brown belt or a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He's been doing a lot of um, grappling tournaments, and he's been beating some legit guys. Like, he went out there against... Um, he he submitted Eric Anders recently in a in a grappling tournament, got him with an anaconda choke. He beat Phil Haas in a grappling uh, match as well by decision. And and I'm saying well, Phil Haas when you're not allowed to punch him in the face, right? Like Phil Haas just in grappling, who's a D1 wrestler. So Petrosky can grapple for real. So I think if Petrosky can neutralize Terman and doesn't get submitted and doesn't just drastically gas, I think Petrosky probably gets it done. So he's gonna be my pick here. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Otman Azaitar. He's 13-0, taking on Matt Frivolo, who is 9-3-1. And, and currently, they got it. Oh, shit, they got it at dead pick minus minus 110 apiece. Okay, so it looks like I missed out on the dog money on Otman Azaitar. Because originally, when they were supposed to fight, I think Otman Azaitar, like a, a couple years back, was like, a decent like wasn't he like a minus 170 minus 200 favorite i think i could be wrong just off the top of my head frivola is an interesting cat because <laughs> frivola look on one hand this dude is going to fight for your money this dude is going to go balls to the wall like this dude's going to give it everything he's got there's no questions asked about that he will try hard in there so you got to respect that and he actually went out there his last fight and I think he set the record for most knockdowns in the first round of a lightweight fight against uh, Valdez. More knockdowns than uh, Gray Maynard had in the first round against Edgar. More knockdowns than Steve Garcia had against Chase Hooper the other week, which is a different weight class, but just saying most knockdowns in the first round of a, of a UFC fight. So that was really badass to see. Uh, so, I mean, I've always liked Frivola just in terms of the guy's gonna go for it, man. And the guy's got heart for days. The issue I have with Frivola, man, is the guy's chin. The guy gets dropped. He used to he literally used to be a thing where he would get dropped every single fight. Two knockdowns against 
uh, Polo Reyes, two knockdowns, two knockdowns against Lando. Um, gives up the fastest knockout in, in UFC history against Terrence. So the guy's chin is there to be hit, and a guy like Otman Azaitar is there to crack chins, 100%. So the path to victory for Otman, go out there and do what's been done before and knock this guy out. And even like the Luis Pena fight, which Matt won, there were a lot of sketchy moments, and every single striking is changing as Jalen Turner, Jalen won. So, And props to him for beating Jalen. That that win is going to age really well down the stretch um, you know, as his career progresses. But... <sighs> The way Otman wins is Otman's got to come out here, clip this guy nicely, clip this guy how this guy's been clipped before, and get him out of there. But for Matt, if Matt can survive these early, just this early blitz, this early gusto that that Otman fights with, that's where Matt can potentially take over, mix in some takedowns in the second round, the third round, start to grind it out, start to just... You know, if, if Ottman starts to gas out a little bit, that's where Matt can kind of pull away on the judges' scorecards. It's just, that's a big if. And that's contingent on him getting some very sketchy moments early. Um, and someone asked about what was in Ottman Azaitar's bag. Look, I can tell you this. It wasn't potatoes and it wasn't steroids. I, I heard what it was. It's actually nothing crazy. I'm not at liberty to say it, but, like, it was not potatoes and it was not steroids. I don't know what the thing, like why the thing that it was in the bag was not allowed there. I'm not sure the reasoning, but it's like really not a big deal. Like so, but it's fun. It's a fun thing to talk about. What was in the secret bag, this and that, but it was really nothing crazy. It's nothing performance enhancing or had, that had anything to do with the fight. But that being said, I think Ottman gets him out of there earlier. It gets him out of there early. It's just. You got to come to terms with if you bet Ottman here and he does not get him out of here early, this guy for Vola is still going to be there. This guy will push a pace. This guy will never quit. And this guy is going to fight to the bitter end. So Ottman has to put him out. I'm going to pick Ottman. But, you know, when Favola is still there in the second and third round, you can't sit here and act surprised. Next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Karolina Kolbakevich. She's 13 and 7, taking on Silvana Gomez Juarez, who was 11 and 4. Currently, they also got it a pick em, um, minus 110 apiece. What's interesting is this fight would have never been minus 110 apiece a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, it would have been like minus two something Carolina, man, because Carolina, much more credentialed, much more accomplished. And I got a soft spot in my heart for Carolina. I mean, I cashed Carolina at plus 215 against Rose Namajunas back at uh, UFC 201 in Atlanta, Georgia back in the day. So I was grateful for that. I've always been a fan of hers. And it seemed like she was about to call it quits, man. I mean, she had a terrible run there where she lost five fights in a row, where, which granted, most of the competition was really stiff. Jessica Andrade, Yan Zhaonan, Alexa Grasso, like these are all good fighters and on a completely different level than Silvana Gomez Juarez. But when she got Felice Herrick, granted on Felice Herrick's retirement fight, I mean, it looked like the Carolina of old. I mean, she treated her like she was on her retirement fight. And my thing with Silvana Gomez Juarez, one thing she brings to the table that you don't often see in the strawweight division is that one-punch knockout power. You got to give it to her. It's there, and you don't have to see that in this division. So when you, so when it does happen, it's like, wow. Like we saw with Lemos the other day. Like, girls, chicks ain't used to being hit like that. So maybe, you know, Carolina got knocked out by Andrade, one of the most potent KO finishers in the history of women's MMA. But 
I don't think that's indicative that she gets knocked out here. I think the only path to victory for Silvana Gomez Juarez is to either knock her out or land such hard shots that she can kind of make Carolina a big gun shy. But besides that, I know that Carolina isn't exactly known for taking people down, but what Carolina is known for that clinch work, man. I mean, the way she broke Rose Namajunas back in the day was in the clinch with those disgusting knees. And if she can close the distance, like she doesn't have to get this to the ground to win. She can keep it standing, but keep it standing close up. Like don't fight in the pocket in terms of like trading uh, punches, but go out there and try to clinch up, land elbows, land knees, pin her up against the fence, get dirty with her, and then maybe mix in a takedown and then possibly get a submission because seems like Gomez Juarez is very one-dimensional. Gomez Juarez hasn't seen this level of competition before. It's just how much does my girl Carolina have left? And that's why the Lions have picked him because Gomez is coming off a huge knockout over someone that doesn't belong in the UFC, quite frankly. And, you know, my girl Carolina is one in five in her last six. So I get that's why the line is where it's at. But if Carolina can tap into any version of her old self and just just fight smart here, you don't have to bang. You don't have to just trade. You know, you know this doesn't have to be a boxing match. We can get this in the clinch. Go out there, mix in some knees, mix in some elbows, some leg kicks, takedowns. I think Carolina's the more well uh, more well more well rounded fighter, and I'll pick her for that reason. So go with Carolina Kolvakovich. Just please don't get knocked out, Carolina. I can't take this heartbreak. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Mike Trezano. He's nine and three, taking on Song Wu Choi, who is ten and five. Currently, they got it. Song Wu Choi minus one fifty five. The comeback on Mike Trezano is plus one thirty five. I like this fight a lot, um, more, more so for the Sung Woo Choi side. Um, you know, I still haven't given up on Sung Woo Choi, man. Like, I think that has he made some young mistakes? Yes. Has he done some rookie moves? Yeah, but hey, my, my dad's calling me. Let, should we see what my dad wants? Let, let me see. What's up, dad? Good. I'm recording a podcast, but for you, I'll answer my phone. How's it going? Yeah, what time were you thinking? Seven-ish? Okay, yeah, let me call you back after this, and maybe we can meet up. Yeah, I'll call you back uh, right after this. Sound good? All right, love you. Bye. My dad uh, invited me over to his place for dinner tonight, you know. You know, always uh, family first, always for me, so, you know. Respect to all the people out here, you know, living their lives without their parents because, you know, my biggest uh, fear is losing my parents. So, you know, my daddy's, I think, 72, 73, so, and he's going strong. So, you know, family is huge for me, man. So whenever I get the chance, always always try to spend time with them. But um, back to Sung Woo Choi and uh, Michael Trezano. So here's my thing with Trezano. I just kind of, he does have kind of that point fighting style, but like, I really feel like he doesn't do enough. And interestingly enough, the numbers say that he lands more than Sung Woo Choi, which I think is kind of crazy, but I haven't liked what I've seen from Trezano for a while. Like, I know it's, he's officially on a two-fight skid. I think he's on a three-fight skid. I didn't even think he beat Ludovic Klein. Now, granted, did Ludovic Klein cover a minus fucking... 
300 minus 250 price tag no he didn't it was closer than that but i didn't think uh i didn't think trezano won actually he's on a four fight skid because he lost to grant dawson right before that and the louise penny fight could have gone either way too the joe Janetti fight was a split so you can make an argument hold on you can make an argument this dude's zero and six in the ufc <laughs> Not trying to laugh, you know, at someone that would absolutely beat the shit out of me, but just saying from a betting perspective, like, um, yeah, I don't think uh I don't think Trezano's all that. Like, I think for all the Tiger Schulman's guys, I think the Jimmy Rivera's, the Julio Arce's, the Shane Burgos, the Lyman Goods, I think those guys are a lot just have more to win fights inside of the octagon. But Trezano still seems like a nice guy. I like the hat he wears, but back to this, all bullshit aside, Sung Wu Choi is a guy that, like, he comes in the UFC and they're like, hey, uh, we know you've been fighting these random no names on the Korean regional scene. Here's Movsar Evloyev in your UFC debut. <laughs> you know what I mean? So this dude's been put through the ringer from the jump and he's had he's had to swim, man, with the sharks gavin tucker in his second fight but then they gave him a couple step downs i mean and yusuf zalal had some hype at the time he did really well in that fight the julian arosa fight knocked out julian arosa julian arosa has been handing a lot of prospects losses these days um alex caceres fight man like i know he lost but like that was a hell of a fight man he knocked down caceres badly in the first round was about to get the finish and throws the illegal knee and then gets choked out in the second round it was a hell of a fight and then that last one against cool Cool about is an underrated guy, man. Like cool about is a dude who's a fucking featherweight, makes his debut up a weight class against Jalen Turner, and then fights fucking Air Jordan to a draw in his second fight. So I think cool about is an underrated guy, and they went life and death. Like I was talking to my jujitsu professor about it, and he was like, Man, that dude Choi was like never say die in there. That dude like would just not die. Like he was just like he was gonna try to win at all costs. I know he didn't get the dub that night, but like if that was a fight to the death, man, like there was no quit in Choi that night. He was determined beyond belief. And I think that he's just a guy that's figuring it out. He's paying his dues, but I do think he's got upside. I think he was on the cusp of the top 15 at one point. And I think this is the perfect fight to get back on track. Trezano's never been that impressive. He's been just kind of a low volume, just kind of point you up if you're not quite ready for him. But that's about the extent of it. And now we got to deal with some confidence issues on the Trezano fight from that shellacking he took that last fight and just these other fights that haven't been going his way. Um, this is a great bounce back spot for Sung Woo Choi. I think he comes out here. I think he clips uh, Mike Trezano and either lands the bigger shots or knocks him out. So, I mean, the way uh, Choi loses this fight is if he just doesn't throw, if he's gun shy for some reason. But I don't have any indication to believe that he's going to be gun shy in this spot so yeah i uh i'm going with sung Wu Choi to get back on track here my boy moise audio said live resin vape for dessert hey shout out to my boy rob man you know this guy brings a lot of great energy to this twitter sphere that we're on and it's just just seems like a cool guy i don't know him i don't even know what he looks like but like the guy like just has great energy and like you love to see positivity you love to see people like we're allowed to disagree on picks and we don't have to bring each other down like we can all just be nice to each other so he's one of the guys that brings good energy and that live resin vape and that buttered blueberry like dude's fucking hilarious man i like that guy 
Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Julio Arce. He's 18 and 5, taking on Montel Jackson, who's 11 and 2. Someone said my thoughts on the James Krause situation. I already talked about that. I talked about it after the Poirier fight. So if you scroll back um, to the Poirier fight, just get past that and then I'll talk about it. But currently, they got it. Montel Jackson minus 200 to come back on. Um, on Julio Arce is plus 175. So, yeah, great fight, great fight. So, Montel Jackson, man, y'all have heard me talk about this guy ad nauseum. I think he's one of the most talented fighters in the entire Bantamweight division. I think the guy's got knockout power. I think he's got good wrestling. I think the physical attributes are all there. The guy's got hands bigger than Nganu. You've heard that before. Always has a reach advantage in all his fights. And, can do things that other guys just can't do like in that fight he lost to ricky simone like when he was back mounted he's able to like reach around all the way to prevent bad bad things from happening and to escape those terrible spots and like just able to use his limbs in just such ways that other people simply can't do the issue with montel jackson is this from what i've heard i don't know the guy personally but from what i've heard he's one of these cases that is like the most talented guy everyone's ever seen but is not exactly the hardest worker in the gym. And you know that there's that famous saying about how hard work beats talent when talent refuses to work hard, but when talent does work hard, look the fuck out. So like if Montel Jackson just ever puts it together, like I really do think this guy is a future problem and like could be one of the best in the division. I think he's that gifted. I think he's that skilled. It's just about like, you know, as my boy been at the club uh, every night during camp, uh, you know, this time around, or has he been taking shit seriously? Like, at some point, he's got to put it together because even in the fights where, like, he allegedly hasn't been showing up to camp, he's still knocking dudes out. So I think he's superbly and supremely talented. It's just about, you know, putting it together on a fight night because this dude, Julio Arce, He's a professional. I say he's a, pro- a professional. He missed weight his last fight. I know. But for the most part, he's a very pro- he's very professional in the way he fights. He's got a very nice point fighting style. He can sit on the outside. I love his defense, man. He's very hard to hit. And is just really good at just knowing where his strengths lie. And if you're not quite ready for Julio Arce, I mean, he's going to go out there and outpoint you straight up, man. So, the thing with this fight is Montel Jackson's got the power advantage. He's got the physicality advantage. He's got the wrestling advantage. It's just if Montel Jackson, for whatever reason, like in the second round and the third round against Brett Johns, where you drop him brutally in the first round, like it looks like it's about to be easy money, and then he just kind of takes his foot off the gas pedal. If he decides not to throw and just stare at uh, Julio Arce, that's where Julio Arce can, can come out here and you know edge out volume out of decision. But if Montel Jackson is on, then we can see special things from this kid. Like, I really hold his talent in high regard. It's just about, like, can you show up for me, please? Can you give me the Montel Jackson that I've been hyping since day one that I really do think is this superb talent that I really do think could be a top 10 guy one day? Because that's how talented the talent's there. Now it's just about the mental meeting the physical, it's about the hard work meeting the talent. And if you can put that together, I think the sky's the limit for a guy like this. So while I respect Julio Arce, and if Montel Jackson wants to stare at him, Julio Arce, Julio Arce can 100% run away with this decision and just outpoint him. But if Montel is on, 
I, I, I don't think there's a lot of guys that can beat Montel at his best. So give me Montel Jackson here. Now, last but not least, and I actually have a bet on this fight. So I'm recording this um, on Monday. This Monday right now, we're live on Monday. So when people listen to this later in the week, as of right now, this is my only bet so far. But I will have more bets on this card. You just check me out on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. You check me out on my bet MMA tips slash the Best Fight Picks, and all the all the bets are there. But first bet of the night. So. In the 205-pound division, we got Carlos Olberg. He's 6-1, taking on Nikolai Nagumariano, who is 13-1. And, and currently, they got it. Carlos Olberg, minus 120. The comeback on Nikolai Nagumariano is plus 100. So I took uh, Carlos Olberg in this spot. Now, I got to talk to you about what kind of respect I have for Nikolai Neg- Nagumariano. Firstly, he's Romanian. My dad was born in Romania, so just off the bat. Got respect for my Romanians. I got some Romanian blood in me. So the guys that kind of do that will not quit, will not give up, will fight tooth and nail to the bitter end. And if if Nikolai Nagumariano smells any kind of weakness, if you start to gas against him, if you start to turn away, if you start to show him that, man, like, I'm not quite cut out for this, I, I'm not ready to go tooth and nail life and death with you, he's going to put it on you in a way where he will absolutely break you and mop the floor with you so i love that aspect about nicolai nagumariano but the issue is here with carlos olberg who's such a cleaner striker nicolai nagumariano relies on his toughness a lot and in doing so relying on your toughness means you get hit a lot and getting hit a lot against uh carlos olberg is not necessarily a recipe for success now we can go back to that fight he had against kennedy and zetchuku that's carlos olberg i'm talking about and yeah he definitely blew his load but i felt like that was like a rookie mistake and something you learn from when you're out there and you throw 227 strikes in like under like a round and a half Look, man, he blew his load, but that's something you can learn from. So this time, don't throw 227 strikes in 1.5 rounds. This time, just throw 150 strikes, and we'll be all good because I think that the counters are going to be there all night long against Nikolai. I think Nikolai prides himself on his chin, prides himself on his ability to get hit and keep going forward. It's just... Carlos isn't exactly a guy you want to get hit by. And we can talk about the Fabio Charant fight, which I bet on Carlos in that spot, but that was different for two reasons. Number one, it was Carlos's first fight back from the Kennedy loss. And number two, Fabio Charant throws two strikes per round and just runs around and does nothing. So Carlos was just like, oh, I just need to land a couple more strikes than him. No big deal. And I'm going to win. Whereas Nikolai is going to go after Carlos which is going to make all the counters there. Like Fabio Charan is not going to leave you any openings because the guy doesn't throw. The guy literally like, let me pull up Fabio Charan real quick. Check this out. Fabio Charan threw 13 strikes against Olberg, threw 15 strikes against William Knight, threw zero strikes <laughs> against Alonzo Menafield, and threw seven strikes against Alexa Kamer. This guy has never thrown more than 15 strikes in a fight. You understand what I'm saying? So yeah, of course the counter... Uh, opportunities weren't there when the guy's running away from you the whole fight and he's completely scared to fight you this dude right here uh nicolai nagumariano is not going to be scared to fight you therefore the counters are going to be there and this guy gets hit clean every single fight 
I'm not convinced he, he's able to eat the shots here. Kennedy and Zetrigu has got an insane chin, man. I mean, for Kennedy to eat the shots and wobble all over the place like he did against Carlos, and then, you know, the very next fight, it took its toll. When he fought Dawin Jung, he got knocked out in the first round. But now that uh, Carlos has had that experience and now that he's not going to get overly excited, now that he can keep his cool about him, he knows what happens when you blow your load, and now he can pace himself a little bit better. I mean, you saw what happened against Stefan, one little opening, and that's all she wrote. And I think he's going to come out here and crack the iron jaw of Nikolai Nagumariano. I think if he has to play it safe, he can do that too. I think he's going to point this guy out, point this guy up for three straight rounds. But my gut's telling me that the knockout is going to be there. This guy gets hit clean too much, and the counters are going to be there all night. So either a unanimous decision or a KO win. But regardless, uh, I put two units on Carlos Oberg at minus 120. Excuse me, I put 2.4 units at minus 120 because I played it to win two units. So that's my first bet of the night um, as of right now that we're recording this. So, wow, we got past the whole card. So um, I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, and I'm going to get out of here. I want to thank you all so much for your support. Tell me what you think about my, my setup. I'm still in the studio. I just switched some things around. Tell me if it looks better. Tell me if it sounds better because I was kind of pissed off about how the last couple of videos looked and sound. So I'm always striving for perfection. So if y'all think it looks and sounds better, then we'll keep it how it is for the time being. Um, but anyways, the fight to watch, I mean, come on, the fight to watch is Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler. Tell me the last time a Dustin Poirier fight sucked. You can't, his fights are always fucking amazing. He's the lightweight KO King. And Michael Chandler has been putting on performances every single time he's inside the octagon. Plus, this is a big crossroads fight for both these guys in their respective UFC careers. I mean, if either of them want any chance of getting another title shot, they got to make they they can't just squeak by a win here. They got to make a statement. And based on their fighting styles, I think the winner will make a statement. So for that reason, Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler is my fight to watch. My fighter to watch. Let's go with Dominic Reyes, man. I mean, this is a guy who a lot of people thought he'd be John Jones at one point, and then he had the two brutal knockout losses, and people are counting him out, and people are saying it's not the same guy he once was, and now he's got to step down in competition. And granted, still a top 15 guy in Ryan Spann, and, you know, if Dominic loses this fight, that might be it. But if he wins this fight, gets his confidence back, and then slowly climbs back up the ladder, you never know what the future holds. So this is... I think out of all the pressure on anyone on this fight, besides like an Izzy or, or something like that, I think the biggest pressure on this fight is on Dominic Reyes to perform. And I think he's in a must-win situation. So for that reason, Dominic Reyes is my fighter to watch. All right, so before I get out of here, if you guys got any last-minute questions for me, I'd be happy to answer uh, them. So shoot now and, you know. Worth it said. Is he my is Olberg my most confident pick of the card? Um, I don't know. I mean, I usually everything I bet is usually like with good money management, unless I'm just like, oh, this is a max bet where I go all in. But usually, I just have the same money management on. I just hate talking about what I'm more confident in and what I'm. I just try to find value on the line, see a spot I like, move in, and don't get so fixated on one outcome, man. Like this is about the long term game, so. 
Uh, right now, that's my only bet, but I do see another bets, uh, a couple more bets in my future, and we'll take it from there, man, and we'll see what happens. Sometimes your most confident bet loses, and your least confident bet wins. So that's why it's important to have proper money management because you don't know what's going to happen in there. You can only go based off your analysis and on where you think there's a value on the odds. All right, so let me see if y'all got any questions for me. Um, and if not, I'm going to get out of here. John G. said, respect for the humble and consistent work you've been putting in i really appreciate that my friend level up said looking sharp bro i appreciate that gotta look sharp one of the biggest uh cards of the year and just look good feel good perform good like my boy james brown said make love good you know so got to got to got to um my boy whiz bet shout out to my my man dan in the chat early bird guess the worm hey whiz bets that's a real one. That's one uh the up-and-coming guys you got to look out for. I really respect them. Great handicapper, but great person, too. Uh, I really, really vouch for this dude. I think y'all need to look out for uh, Wiz Betts. He's, he's legit, dude. Um, let's see. Y'all already got my take on the Minner situation. Mr. D said, can't stand when people call close fights a robbery. I know that term gets overused. Like, there's a time and place. Don't get me wrong. But not every close fight that you disagree with the decision is a robbery. Um, my boy John said, finally made a live show. Shout out from Down Under. Appreciate you, John. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much, man. Um, MMA Anomaly says he thinks Dan Hooker loses this one and likely retires. Yeah, I mean, if he loses this one, there's there's a good chance for sure, for sure. Um um let's see let's see let's see my boy locker room says he thinks Terman is the best dog on the card and he's also betting chandler well put the same amount on both and if one of them wins you come out on top uh worth it says i mean when you are confident you should be slamming it all in right what's your most what's the most you ever had on one fight um yeah, I mean, but I like to just exercise proper money management because you can think that this is the play of the year and then lose because you, you never know what's going to happen. So I just try to have proper money management, have proper discipline. But, yeah, there's been a ton of big bets I've had in the past. I think one of the biggest back in the day was when Max Holloway fought Jose Aldo in Brazil, and he was like a plus 110 or plus 115 dog. I put five units on that. That was a very confident one. Uh, when Randy Brown fought Mickey Gall, I think I put over seven units on that. That was one of my most confident. So, yeah, just go to my my bet record and just look at my entire history. It's like a seven or eight year track record. So, you can you can find it. It's in there. It's just at this point, I've I think I've made upwards of like eight hundred bets or something, which is crazy because there's kids with less years doing this than me that have got like thousands of bets. But um, I just try to you know, be disciplined, have money management. I'm not out here risking 30 units, 40 units a card. You know, it's funny. The last week, last weekend was the most I've risked on a card this entire year, this entire year with 12 units. I've only risked more than 10 units on a card like three times this entire year. So yeah, I just try to bet smart, you know, not try to bet with emotions or anything like that. Um, my boy Andy G said he just joined, but better believe I'm going to catch the entire replay. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. So thank you very much. Um, and then 
MMA Anomaly says, biggest sleeper, most overlooked fight on the card. That's a good question. Uh, let's see. So, obviously not the main three fights. I like Riddell and Moicano a lot. I think the return of Dominic Reyes needs to be spoken about. Um, Montel Jackson, a promising prospect, and Julio Arce is no pushover, so... You know, there's a lot of really good fights on this card. So, guys, thank you all so much. Last call for questions, but if not, truly, truly appreciate you all for being here. Do me a huge favor. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Afterwards, when this is over, please leave me a comment. And then share, retweet, all those little things you all do help the channel grow tremendously. And it means the world to me that you guys are showing me this kind of support. You know, just trying to come out here and... You know, I'm not trying to tell you who to bet on. I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'm just trying to maybe present info that you hadn't already heard or maybe open your eyes to new possibilities and just give you my thoughts and just have fun with this because I truly am passionate about this. I love being here. I love the positivity, the energy that you guys bring forth. So thank you all so much. Um, and yeah, I'm just truly grateful. So you can subscribe to Half the Battle here on YouTube, also on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher everywhere uh podcasts are found spread the word let's get the word out there man i feel like you know, i don't want to compare myself to anyone else i think every uh, you know everyone brings something new to the table but i want more eyes on me i want more people to see what i bring to the table so i appreciate y'all doing that for me so thank you guys all so much for all the support best of luck this weekend and until the next time let's cash these bets